anybody who watches Toy Story, no matter what age, they'll enjoy it on some level. And if you don't, you have no soul. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is Movie Bite, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. This show is hosted by me, I'm TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell. Hey. Hey, how are you, Joseph? Uh, I'm thrilled. I'm just uh, eager to talk about these two pretty awesome movies and some good movie news. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's dive in. Uh, first of all, we have some uh, follow-up. Uh, I don't know if we've actually ever done this on the podcast before, because last week we talked about Star Wars, and this week, uh, rumor has it that Matthew Vaughn is being uh, looked at for directing uh, Star- the, the new Star Wars film. How do you feel about that? Well, it is a rumor as of this time, and I I really liked the film First, uh, was it First Class? X Men First Class. X Men First Class. Yes, he did a good job, but it was a it was a throwaway B flick. It was an action flick, and um, I think that he's largely untested. I think that George Lucas too was untested with the original trilogy. Yeah. yeah so yeah. just because someone is inexperienced doesn't mean that they shouldn't have this opportunity. But I, I think that we're much, pa- we're much farther past that now. Um, we mm. we really would like to know that Star Wars was put into good hands, and uh, I don't know. And per- hopefully this is just a rumor, and if it becomes uh, you know something official then they can prove themselves before, long before the movie comes out, just so that fans don't feel too nervous about an, uh, you know, such a director. Yeah, I mean, X-Men First Class was okay. I, I, I didn't think it was anything special. I really did like Stardust, though. I see he directed Stardust, and I really like Stardust. Have you seen that, that film? Um, refresh my memory what it's about. Oh, you would ask me that. All right, Stardust. Be easier for me to Google and hit IMDb. And tell it you sounds it sounds like a fantasy that wants to be taken as sci-fi, but really is just a fantasy. Eh, it, it was pretty much fantasy. In a countryside down boarding, let me try that again. In a countryside town bordering on a magical land, a young man makes a promise to his beloved that he'll retrieve a fallen star by venturing into the magical realm. Uh, let me see if I can find a little bit longer. Uh, Oh, yeah. The passage from this world to the fantasy kingdom of Stormhold is through a breach in the wall beside an English village. In the 1800s, a boy becomes a man when he ventures through the breach in pursuit of a fallen star to prove his love for the village beauty. The star is no lump of rock. It's a maiden. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Y-V-A-I-N-E. Oh, and I've right. watched the film I and I loved it, that. and I don't remember how her name is pronounced. Anyway, yeah, and, and the guy's name is Tristan. Uh... I vaguely remember the first uh, part of it. What was wasn't it like a two part film? No, it was just it was just one part. Was it uh, a TV movie? No, it was a feature film. Ah, well, share that link with me because I'd like to look it over again. Maybe I'm getting it mixed up with something else. Was the woman? Was there a mother involved? And she was like um, chained to an old fashioned like circus. Yes, traveling correct pony cart. Yep. Okay, I did see that. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking it was a direct-to-TV movie. No. No, it uh, you know, it has Claire Danes. Ian McKellen was the narrator. Uh, there's another big name in here that I'm... Oh, Michelle Pfeiffer, of course. Um, I'll put the link to this. 
IMDb page in the show notes. The show notes will be found at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 17. So I'll yeah, put that I, in I, I enjoyed that movie for, for what it was. Um, I guess that's a, a good start for the career of Matthew Vaughn. But it seems like a huge flying leap to go from that and X-Men First Class to something like Star Wars. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. Again, uh, you know, interestingly, uh, though I don't have a lot lot of uh, confidence in what Peter Jackson might be doing with The Hobbit, he, he did, you know, he was pretty uh, untested when he did Lord of the Rings. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I guess when you put it that way, too, it, it does work out. Yeah, what were what was New Line Cinema thinking? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a brilliant stroke. I love Peter Jackson's execution of Lord of the Rings, but I guess it had a lot to do with the size and the uh, the risk that New Line uh, Cinema had to take at the time. Yeah, I think that because they were a small production studio in New Zealand, they had to take a couple of risks. Actually, I don't know that they're based out of New Zealand. I just know the films were made there. Yeah, no, I don't think they are, but uh, I, I really don't know for sure. But anyway, so uh, yeah, Matthew Vaughn, rumored to direct, or rumored at least to be being considered to direct. So Joseph, I uh, just as we wrap up the follow-up here, I also wanted to mention you wrote a little article about Machete Order, which I introduced you to last week, uh, and how to watch uh, Star Wars and Machete Order. Right, and it was a it was quite a treat to read up on this. It was introduced to me by you, like you said, and I wrote up a piece uh, for Movie Bite. And here's the thing: um, I've never been a fan. Well, the older I get, I become less and less of a fan of the Star Wars prequels. The Machete Order takes care of people like me who are mm, ambival- ambivalent. <laughs> not flat out um, disgusted by, but ambivalent towards them. So it says, look, how, how are we supposed to accept these? How are we going to deal with them? And you got, you got to acknowledge that episodes four through six are just the bomb. No, no one argues their validity. My younger brother who grew up with the prequels, he likes them more than the original trilogy because okay, he figures well, he's just crazy. He is. But I think a lot of people under the age of 20 right now are so I can't, I can't really blame him. But his thoughts are that the uh, prequel trilogy did a better justice of fleshing out the look and feel of the Star Wars universe. And to him, that actually means a whole lot, unfortunately, at the expense of other story values. Right. And I'm like, dude, you know, just live another 10 years of life. You'll see the light. You'll come around. Yeah. yeah, yeah You'll we'll understand. See. The, the truth will set you free. <laughs> so, Machete Order tells you this. You shouldn't watch the movies in the order that George Lucas proposes them. Nope. In fact, you shouldn't, you shouldn't watch episode one at all. Just skip it. Pretty much, yeah. Now, start with episode four, then watch five. Then now for a little backstory. Once you know that Darth Vader is Luke's father... Jump back to episode four, sorry, episode two, and learn about uh, Anakin and his uh, mentoring from Obi-Wan Kenobi and find out what really happened because now Empire Strikes Back has exposed all these things from, uh, you know, their past. You have all these itching questions. Now you got to know who Darth Vader was. 
But don't watch Return of the Jedi just yet, because that's the climax. That resolves everything. So don't watch it until after you get through episodes two and three. Because then now that you've seen Anakin's slide into the dark side, you can appreciate all the more watching Luke as he comes out of the shadows at Jabba's palace, wearing black, acting very cloak and dagger, dark and creepy and mysteriously, and uh, you know, passing off the droids to Jabba and shrugging off the fact that Leia is a slave to the palace, just there to get Han back. Who knows what his intentions are? You know, maybe, th- maybe there's something you know, bad at play here. And so Luke appears to be following in the footsteps of the same pattern that Anakin had. And what I really appreciate about all of this is that it resolved some of the other questions I had, too. The Machete Order points out you really just don't need to watch Episode 1. There's nothing relevant that happens in Episode 1 that carries over, that has something to do with Episodes 2 and 3. Now, I'll grant you, I'm sorry, there's actually a few exceptions. Do you remember what they were? I don't, but he does spell them out in the article, uh, so... You know, definitely check out the article that where the, where the guy proposes machete order, uh, and he does spell them out. But there are very few exceptions. You know that where episode one actually has a little relevance, and 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 it, you can just completely live without it. And and you know what really I love about this? Can you just guess what I really love about just losing episode one entirely and just pretending like it doesn't exist? Uh yeah. There's no whiny kids involved. Oh no no. There's no whiny characters whatsoever involved. <laughs> exactly. No flop-eared, <laughs> weird-looking, dragon-like, underwater guy. <laughs> you know what? The Gungans were bad enough in and of themselves as a species that we didn't need to make it all the more egregious with Jar Jar. Exactly. Now, how old were you, though, when the episode one came out? Oh, well, let's see. I was born in 1982, January of 1982. How old would that make me? 82, 92. Mm, you were yay old. Yeah, I, I, uh, 15, is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. I was 11 when the prequel came out. And for me, uh, you know, I was just super ecstatic about having a new Star Wars film. And when I went into the theater, who knew what to expect? We had never seen anything that had so much artifice, but so much artifice that was done in such a way that to watch any of the clips in isolation, they looked pretty good. So as you're watching, as you know, scene by scene, new events taking place, uh, Jedi just whooping uh, these droids and things that you, you never quite pictured in your head so well, it, it really took you by storm as an 11 year old. You yeah, know, and so, and so it, it made a, it made a big impression on me because I was just like, this is so, so very cool. So engaging compared to the other three films well, and it, it but, really does seem to target kids too i mean i think and that's it the did. problem with it exactly i mean like nowadays i can't stand a mcdonald's but when i was a kid i loved it and it's like seriously george lucas you gave us the mcdonald's version of star wars exactly yeah um i will just make this comment and then we need to we need to keep scooting on um the one thing the the only thing about dropping episode one from your watching and watch through of, of a Star Wars, sitting down and watching through it, is I must confess, I really like the character Qui-Gon Jinn. It's like the only redeeming quality of the first Star Wars movie. And so it does make me kind of sad. And I think in the Machete Order article he proposed, well, you could kind of tack it on as a, 
Oh, by the way, this also kind of sort of happened in that universe, and you can watch it on its own later for what it is. And I do like Qui-Gon Jinn. So, yeah, that, I'm with the you there. Thing. In fact, that was one of the greater disappointments for me for episodes two and f- three that they didn't explore more pertaining to Qui-Gon. Like, we never saw him as a ghost as we do with Obi-Wan Kenobi in Which, the original trilogy. Why wouldn't you? I, don't, I just don't understand. <laughs> right. And like, uh, Yoda, for no apparent reason, bothers to tell us that Qui-Gon has managed to communicate with us from the other side. And nobody's and ever done that before, apparently. Yeah, nobody's ever done that before. But what he bothers to communicate to us are flashback voice clips of what Qui-Gon said in episode one to Yoda, who wasn't present for those events in episode one. Right. Yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah. uh, Lucas, what were you thinking? Yeah, well, he wasn't. So anyway, let's let's move to happier times, shall we? Let's talk about the amazing Spider-Man being released on uh, Home Entertainment. Yes. Now, this film really thrilled me. I think that this is personally a a Spider-Man film that is still growing on me. I can't say it's a perfect Spider-Man film. I wasn't altogether satisfied by the ending, but I'm really looking forward to seeing it again now that it's coming to home entertainment. How about you? Yeah, uh, I have to tell you, I haven't seen it. There is a reason why I haven't seen it. I was protesting the film. That's right. That was something we discussed in one of the earliest episodes. I I was trying to remember, did we discuss it actually on the podcast, or did we discuss it when I uh, came down there to visit you as we were getting Movie Bite set up? I can't remember. You did talk about it on the podcast. Okay. Because you were making the point to me that you loved Sam Raimi's movies just oh so much that you didn't have room in your heart for yet another installment. Well, it just felt disrespectful. It felt like it was way too early. And, and you know, it just, wh- why? Why are we rebooting and going back and, and recasting and just a whole lot? It just really bugged me. It is disrespectful. But in this particular instance, the, uh, the movie's so dang good, I, I just say go ahead and be disrespectful. Joseph, I mean, I, you do realize this is sacrilegious, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But, uh, you, you know, I found, you know, Superman Returns to be disrespectful, and you're okay with that movie. I'm sorry, but uh, nothing can, uh, nothing as of yet has taken the place of Superman 1 and 2 with Christopher Reeve, and I just cannot imagine why anyone would think that Superman Returns is on an equal footing. You know, why, why are we going there? This is not about Superman. This is about the amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. Uh, sorry. We, we've already hashed out our differences on Superman. <laughs> okay, so back to the Amazing Spider-Man then. Uh, then why, are you, why aren't you taking it on its own merits? Why am I not taking it on its own merits? Because you can't discount everything that's come before if it was good. Or I just, yeah, whatever. I, I just... <laughs> You know what I think the problem is here is that the movie franchise feels like they are not being disrespectful. They think that if anything, they're respecting the canon of the comic books because the comic books have introduced these three or four different archetype stories that are, you know, or not, not archetype isn't the right word, but, but there's these three or four different timelines. There's like these three or four different dimensions with the life of Peter Parker. I understand. And supposedly, I understand. Uh, you know, the Amazing Spider-Man is one of those four. 
Uh, you know, there might be more than four. And then uh, the one by Sam Raimi, th- that trilogy represented another one of the Star Wars. F- I mean, <laughs> Spider-Man Wrong subject there, So you don't know what you're talking about. You can't even remember if it's Star Wars or Spider-Man Shoot, that you're talking I, about. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. So I'm, I'm it, losing it. The, the thing is, though, I feel like it's a mistake to base your comic book movies too much in the comic book lore. They need to really be their own entities because because comic books just don't work strictly adapted as movies. So, did you ever see Watchmen? No. Okay. I'm not I'm not suggesting that you should. It's a remarkable film and it's one that really tried to be consistent with the comic book. And if anything, I think that they succeeded. Um, in fact, it was the only times that they deviated from the comic books in the details that I disapproved of the film. I preferred a very strict representation of the comic book story. Mm. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. But like you said, it's each his own. I, I, I guess, uh, what was it? The, uh, the first Hulk movie was a very strict representation of one of the Hulk stories come to the film. And uh, there was even a lot of like transitions in the movie itself where they made it look like scenes in the movie were panels in a comic book transitioning from one to the next on another page um i heard things like that i never actually bothered to see it because so many friends told me it was so awful did you see it no that's the same same situation i didn't bother to see it well the spider-man movie has it is nothing like that hulk movie you need to see it now that it's coming out okay well i i do plan on watching it in its home entertainment release i'll probably uh i don't know check with itunes or something but uh yeah that's i'll watch it i'll i'll give my final opinion then okay well hey you know what another thing that's going on right now are 3d movies you know, um, mm-hmm. we just uh, saw Wrecked Ralph, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure there are a few other 3D movies coming down the pike. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, I, what was I thinking? There's a Monsters Incorporated. That's that's coming back here very shortly in 3D. And, but, you know, the, I, mean, I don't know how many people are going to see it just because it's in theaters again. But I, I know that Pixar and Disney would love it if you did. Right, and well, the reason for it, their gimmick, the the way that they're going to get you into the theaters, because it's not just Monsters Incorporated, which every mom and dad and five-year-old boy and girl have seen like a bajillion times now. The, the, way to, the, the way to sugarcoat it, the way to get you back into the theater to spend more money on popcorn and expensive movie tickets is to see it in 3D. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that in, uh, sarcastically. I mean, that is what they're doing. Well, you know, if I sound kind of grumbly, it's because I completely agree with you. Um, and in fact, I just wrote this article, uh, Dimensions, which I'll put in the show notes, um, where I basically say, I, I've, you know, this, is the, I, I, this will be a nice transition into Wreck-It Ralph. Um, I, Wreck-It Ralph is the first movie I've seen in 3D. I have managed to avoid it. I have seen many, many movies but I did not, I just, I've never had any interest in 3D because to me, it, it seemed like a gimmick and I was right. It was a, it, when I watched Wreck-It Ralph in 3D, it didn't, you know, it didn't keep me from enjoying the story, but I, it, it, I didn't care for it and I don't plan on seeing a movie in 3D ever again. <laughs> now you noted that when you saw it, it actually gave you some headaches and it made your eyes you oh, know, get a little sore, tired. Yeah. Yeah. The eye strain was terrible. And, and you were telling me that you felt like it was one of the better films as far as that goes. So it could be, I don't know what the difference would be also between theaters and projectors and different things, but it certainly, and I, I was in a, I mean, the theater that I go to is a pretty good theater. So I would imagine that it's, you know, state of the art, you know, uh, 
technically. And uh, how new is your theater? I don't know how how long the theater itself has been there. I know that it's been recently renovated. Um, it, it's a it's a great theater. I love the theater. They did they you know they they have all the new toys and and stuff. But uh, yeah, well, I just, the reason I the reason I ask uh, how new your theater is is because the one I went to see it in is the newest theater in my area. They've only been around for maybe two two and a half months, and I've been seeing a lot of the movies for Movie Bite at this theater just because it's one of the closest theaters to where I live, and it's oh, nice, and it's also one of the best theaters anywhere around. I think the best theaters in Georgia or over up in Gwinnett. There's a huge mall up there, and they're supposed to be just uh, these amazing, huge, real, genuine IMAX theater screens, and the best in sound is there. But anywhere else in the Atlanta area kind of wanes. That You have the, the normal, typical mixture of the good and the bad and the ugly. And I think that I have the sweet spot. I have a theater I love to go to because, because it is new, and it is in a metro area. There's a lot of um, show, showings when the, there isn't a large crowd, yeah. and so I catch a lot of the great showtimes. And what I noticed about Wreck-It Ralph with the 3D aspect was just how just how easy the 3D was. And I actually would attribute it to being. I don't want to say it's just because it's a new theater. That doesn't entirely make sense because their technology is probably the same stuff that they're using at the other theaters locally. But something about it just worked better. Everything about it felt uh, effortless. Like, for my eyes, I didn't have to spend any time trying to focus on the screen. Mm. There was nothing about the 3D imagery that ever looked blurry. Uh, I don't know what it was. It was just effortless. And so, you know, uh, one thing, though, that really annoys me, though, is that, you know, 3D, even when it works its best, like it did for me, in my experience, 3D is still a gimmick because they start the trailers in 3D before the movie. Yep. And so your eyes are getting used to the fact, oh, okay, whoa, here's the gimmick. It's it's on now. So let me get my glasses on. And then you start watching these trailers and you're like, oh, wow, that was, that was pretty, that was interesting. You know, it, it didn't make the trailer for me, but it works. And then you get to the movie and you get to in about mm, two minutes worth of the storytelling and you forget that you have the 3D glasses on at all. Yep. So you spend the rest of the movie completely oblivious to the fact that you spent, uh, you know, extra dollars just to get the 3D showing. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and not only that, it's still straining your eyes. I mean, certainly the eye strain for me was pretty bad. Um yeah, and, and, and here's what I would say too, in terms of Wreck It Ralph, it did not further the story in any way. It didn't it didn't it wasn't necessary to the story. Like the story would have been just as good without it. Um you know, I wouldn't say that the three D hurt the storytelling, but it just didn't help it. You, you know, and I would even say there and, and it was okay because this is a, a this is an animated film, but there was a more of a fake quality to some of the three D aspects of the film. Like it made it feel more fake. Which is why I would never want to see a live action in 3D. Yeah, I, I remember that. You know, Tron Legacy is one of my favorite films of recent years, and I've watched it time and again at home. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But the first two times I saw it in theaters, one was just a bad IMAX theater, so the showing wasn't all that great because the projector was uh, producing not enough light, and so the screen as a whole was just too dim all the way through the film. 
In the other instance, it was the first time I saw it, and it was in 3D, and it did nothing for me. But that was just, what, two years ago now? And I've noticed that 3D has come a long way since then. At the time, 3D glasses were slightly tinted, so a dark film would almost be uh, just unviewable. Because a movie like Tron Legacy has mostly dark at night scenes. Sure, yeah. And, and yeah, so, and you know, they're wearing dark costumes. And oftentimes they're in environments that are like jet black, flat, you know, translucent glass surfaces. So yep. everything is really dark. And uh, yeah, so that, that movie was just watching experience was completely miserable. Yeah, no, I feel And 3D yeah. did nothing for you. Yeah, now I should we should explain uh, because I have had folks get confused about this uh, when I talk to them about 3D and why I don't like it, uh, or, or and even before I'd seen that, I would talk about why I think it's gimmicky. But I've had people get confused about this. We're not talking about 3D graphics. We're not talking about when you go into After Effects, for instance, and you extrude an object and you roll a camera around it and do cool stuff. We're not talking about that at all. Uh, we're talking about the. Um, the, the the idea that the image on the screen looks like it's jumping out at you and, and there's a sense of depth and things to it. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sure most people understand that, but I have had, believe it or not, people get confused about what I was talking about. So, Yeah, hopefully our audience un- understands the difference for the most part. But yeah, it's, uh, it's something that you only see probably three or four times a year when you get into the theaters and you're looking for tickets and you come across some kid's movie that was a computer animated movie and... You know, you, you, you want to get a show time and I uh, think about it based on what I have seen this year only, it, with movies that are new to the theaters and they have a 2D and a 3D viewing you know option. It seems like about only one fifth of the show times are in the 2D. And so you, you want to be doubly sure when you visit their uh, a theater's website that if you want the one or the other that you get what you're looking for. Yep. And uh, it's really jarring to get to the theater and be like, you know, I want to give my kids a 3D movie watching experience and find you're there for the 2D showing. Yeah. Because they don't typically show them at the exact same times anyway. Yep. Well, I think this is a great time to segue into our talk about uh, Wreck-It Ralph, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to talk about Wreck-It Ralph. Well, you know, Wreck-It, this movie Wreck-It Ralph was, was fabulous. A, it was a great Pixar film, wasn't it? yes it was a just a just a wonderful pixar film uh the head of you know pixar john lasseter he really led this movie uh, to a t what it needed to be it was it was straight up like inspired by the world of monsters incorporated only this time it was about arcade characters in the arcade and wow i would have said toy story but yeah it's, it's really the same premise in fact your brother wrote an article which i enjoyed a lot and uh linked to it on movie bite um he he wrote an article about this very thing. You know, it's like uh, I think he called it a. Uh, let me see what he called it. Disney conspiracy or something. Um, yeah, Disney conspiracy is Wreck It Ralph really a Pixar movie in disguise? And then he posits, and I, I'm I'm sure he's doing it in jest. Although some of the comments took him seriously, where he posits that uh, Disney and Pixar they switch studios for the films, and so that Wreck It Ralph was done under the Disney name, but was actually a Pixar title. And you know, Brave felt much more like a Disney title and was done under the Pixar name. <laughs> And and I, I that's so true though because I, I have not seen Brave yet just because I've heard so many bad things about it and I at the time I was you know working really hard on Movie Bite and coding it and stuff and so I just didn't have time to go see many movies during that period of time and I just didn't bother because yeah so 
I saw I saw Brave. And it felt very much like a Disney movie from, say, you know, 2005, 6, 7, 8. Yeah. Just something something that was a throwaway. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it wasn't Pixar quality. I imagine that there is probably a power struggle for the best talent between these two th- uh, these two th- studios. And you, you, oh, it's, you know what's really bad is that they both have their own CG animated film departments. They have their own operations. So if they think to themselves, huh, Wreck-It Ralph needs to be our main focus here. Let's give it a lot of money and let's make a bang-up job with this film you know what they're going to do? They're going to pull the, you know, the best talents from Pixar and Disney combined, and they're going to put them to that film. And uh, I'm, I don't know that it actually matters in the long run. So long as we continue to get some good movies out of these two studios and their efforts together, then I'm okay with that. But um, I yeah, don't no, know. No, I, it's just an awful shame to see that Pixar is waning. I do have mixed feelings about it because I agree with you. On the one hand, I feel it's, it's sort of like how a lot of it, it's weird because a lot of people in the tech world, which I, I pay attention a lot to the tech world, and a lot of people follow websites like they follow TechCrunch and Engadget and, uh, you know, these these tech websites. I don't follow websites. I follow people. And so, for instance, when M.G. Siegler left TechCrunch, I went and found his blog and just read, I read his blog now because he talks, you know, he left TechCrunch and he talks about his stuff on his own blog now. So I feel the same way in that regard to Pixar and what we see with Wreck-It Ralph. John Lasseter was the executive producer of Wreck-It Ralph. And so even though Wreck-It Ralph was not, um, even though Wreck-It Ralph was not a Pixar film, it felt very much like one because it had the same talent behind it. And that's what all I really care about in a way. Now, on the other hand, as you say, it is kind of sad because there is a certain affinity for Pixar. I mean, like, I really love Pixar, so I hate, I would hate to see it fall by the wayside. I love their humble beginnings that they started exactly. out as just one little department of George Lucas's studios over at Lucasfilm. And it was uh, Pixar rendering technology that got them up and running. You know, that they created a lot of the, uh, the very early yeah, animation, computer animation software. And then that was used for things like the very first Tron movie. John Lasseter was one of the earliest animators over at Disney when they were using the fundamental code language that they ultimately was uh, taken and, uh, you know, grown to become, you know, developed into something for Pixar. It, was star- it all started back at George Lucas's Lucasfilm. And yep. it was produced for a Disney movie. Tron, uh, not Tron Legacy, but the original Tron. And then uh, that was groundbreaking. And, you know, you may debate, eh, Tron, the original one, that was a snoozer. But, uh, you know, a lot of people say, look, the the effects were just brilliant for their time. So uh, you can't really shirk it. And, and, then, and then you just have this, oh, wow, they were the underdogs. Pixar became this uh, band of creative men under the uh, the genius of Steve Jobs, who who owned them and reared them and funded them and took all kinds of gambles and all kinds of risks for their sake to produce the very first Toy Story. It took seven years to to make the first Toy Story, and it was all these creatives that said, you know, you know, we're, we're this is going to be a make or break deal. We do this right. We're going to change, you know, we're going to uh, uh, make a turn for the better for good home family entertainment. Yeah. You know, you remember this was 1995 and, you know, Disney came out with a few good two-dimensional, you know, 2D and animated films, but mm. 
they, uh, nothing nothing that I care to watch anymore. Nothing that I care to share with my kids. This, this is a bit of a side tangent, but it's it's relevant. You know, during that era, did you notice that Disney animation, I'm not even talking about the stories, I'm talking about like the animation itself, it started shifting into these very sharp, harsh lines. Uh, think of even Aladdin was starting to see a little bit of that. And then you get... Uh, uh, I actually kind of like the film, but um, you, you get that that the, the sense of animation is just horrible. I'm trying to remember the name of the film. Beauty um, and the Beast. No, or the it was Lion after King? that. It, it was after the Lion King. It um, was, um, after the Lion King, that was when I pretty much began to ignore most all films coming through Disney. There was uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Nope. And oh, there was a couple other throwaways. There was the Hercules movie. Nope, that's not it either. Why am I Why am I drawing a blank on this? Well, anyway, they. <laughs> They really started going for this really nasty look in their animation, and and at the same time, you've got Pixar coming in, and they, you know, obviously they come in with Toy Story, and 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 it looks absolutely amazing, beautiful, and and different certainly because it was computer animated, but you know, you look at it and you go, wow. Uh, it, at the same time, Disney's kind of moving away from their roots. You got Pixar, you know, they care about the story and they care about the the beauty of the animation. So, I know from my parents that Disney has a special place in their heart. You know, my mom oh, grew sure. up with the original Pinocchio. Sure. And uh, for her, she thinks of it fondly as part of her childhood. And she passed that on to me because before there was Pixar, all there was were the Disney classics to watch uh, as I grew up. But uh, when as soon as Pixar came along, you know what? It was one of those inspirations that got me interested in filmmaking independently. And I spent a lot of time, you know, catching, uh, you know, any available making of video pertaining to John Lasseter, what Pixar was doing, what was the inspiration for these creative worlds that they created, you know, things like Monsters Incorporated. No one had ever thought to do that story. It was just raw, pure genius. I found the film I was looking for is The Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, there are some harsh lines in that, but you didn't like that. From, you didn't like that movie. Well, no, I actually I kind of like the movie, but the the and I was talking about the animation though specifically. It just it, it's of that yes, era. Anima- that Disney's animation just looks terrible. I will grant you that it's nothing great, and it actually looks kind of cheap. But uh, I mean, the movie I love, and it's, it's something that we love to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, but, I yeah, agree. Still, but, but that was that was what I was trying to illustrate with just the look of Disney's animation during that era was so awful. Like they should have fired every one of those animators, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But so, Wreck It Ralph. Um, Bringing this back around, yes. I guess what we're trying to say here is that Wreck It Ralph, it quite surprisingly, feels like a Pixar movie. It doesn't feel like the best of them, but it feels like a Pixar movie. Oh, wow. I don't know if I'd say it. It feels It's right up there with the best of them, Joseph. I would agree that it is right up there with the best of them, but I don't think it's going to quite connect with as many of the audience. That's, that's true. The, the, the gaming aspect could give it a little bit narrower of a focus, but, but I still think it's accessible even if you're not into gaming. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. I, I actually kind of regret that I didn't take my kids to see it, even my three-year-old. Because, you know, uh, he's got a short attention span, but <laughs> oddly enough, he loves a good movie every now and then, like uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, oh, the original. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, my three-year-old, he, he asks to watch that, and I'm so proud of him. And I, t- I turn it on for him on the Apple TV. I never have to pop into a DVD and wait for the Blu- Blu-ray player to boot up. But, um, you know, and, and now I'm thinking about Rick Ralph. I, I had not anticipated that this movie would just be so engaging. And I think it works not just for a particular age group. The A real um, powerful family film is one that can appeal to 
uh, you know, at least four different a- a generation brackets. Oh, I, and, yes. and and that to me is what's always made Pixar films so brilliant. And here we are, we're talking about Pixar because this really is. Let's face it, it really is a Pixar film under the Disney name with John Lasseter. I mean, you know, I just I can't get around it. I keep trying to say Disney, and it's like it's a Pixar film. Anyway, it, it, that's the brilliance of of Pixar's films, and now Wreck It Ralph is that they appeal to every age level. Like no. You anybody who watches Toy Story, no matter what age, they'll enjoy it on some level. And if you don't, you have no soul. <laughs> I, yeah, you're absolutely right. So anyway, Wreck It Ralph. What's this? What's this film about? All right, Ralph is tired of being overshadowed by Fix It Felix Jr., the good guy, star of their game, who always gets to save the day. But after decades of doing the same thing and seeing all the glory go to Felix, Ralph decides he's tired of playing the role of the bad guy. He takes matters into his own hands and sets off on a game-hopping journey across the arcade through every generation of video games to prove he's got what it takes to be a hero. On his quest, he meets the tough-as-nails Sergeant Calhoun from the first-person action game Hero's Duty. But it's the feisty misfit Vanellope von Schweetz from the candy-coated kart racing game Sugar Rush, whose world is threatened when Ralph accidentally unleashes a deadly enemy that threatens the entire arcade where they live. Will Ralph realize his dreams and save the day before other heroes take his medal trophy? You know what? I, I'm just wanting to watch the movie all over again after listening to hear <laughs> you, that, that description. It just, man, it's, it's a good film. Yeah. Well, to tell you the truth, I mean, I, I sometimes have a hard time predicting movies. Uh, sometimes my predictions are right and sometimes they're wrong. I, I really wanted it to be a good movie when I was when it was, you know, the trailers were coming out and stuff. And I felt like it would be a good movie, but I just wasn't sure. I could have laid my own fears to rest if I had dug a little bit and just seen that Lasseter was the executive producer. But uh, yeah. Well, here, <laughs> here's a few other bits of data um, about the film. It was in theaters on October 29th. It was somewhere in the world. But here in the USA, it was in, uh, in the theaters on November t- uh, 2nd. And uh, the budget is an estimated... Now, this took me by surprise, people. The budget is an estimated 165 million bucks. That and that, seems... that took that whoa. <laughs> okay, and now the reason why this seems so astronomical to me, TJ, is that Cloud Atlas had a budget of one hundred million. Yeah, it does seem high. I, I here's my theory about this budget. I think it has a lot to do with marketing, producing media games, um, maybe the potential spin-off television show, uh, maybe paying a little extra money to get uh, characters in this movie, like the original Sega Sonic the Hedgehog, and a mention of Mario, and yeah, Sam Bowser, yeah, yeah. and characters from Street Fighter. I'll bet you I that has a lot has to a do lot with to it. Do that. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to point out, I didn't realize this, I'm looking at the stats on Brave right now, it, has, it had a production budget of 185 million so more than wreck it ralph what yeah i'm, I'm surprised by that let's look up a more traditional pixar film hmm. uh, okay well here while you're looking up a, no, a few more let me go ahead and give you my take uh this is just my guess uh who knows but this is my theory i think that wreck it ralph had a very linear production process that they chose their director they knew their story they knew that they wanted to stick to comedy and comedy of this sort is always easier to to produce it's an easier story to tell they didn't have to take things quite so seriously and that perhaps they were able to recruit some younger and less experienced yet gifted um animators that were able to work on this film uh and just uh do things in a bit more 
Well, we'll get to that in a, uh, at a later point. Um, I have a few comments about the animation aspect I want to talk about later. Okay. But all in all, I just don't think that this film was uh, demanding as much from the filmmakers uh, like a movie like Brave does. Because Brave was intended to be all things to all people. It, it was meaning to be heart heartwarming. It was supposed to be charming. It was supposed to be serious. It was supposed to be uh, a mysterious. It was supposed to be funny. And when you're trying to be all things to all people, you're, you're in a tug of war. They ended up with one director, and deep into the film production, they decided to you know switch to another one because they didn't like where it was going. Yeah. And that whole process had to have been expensive I, I agree. they were the, chopping the, up the movie. Yeah, I agree Brave was fraught with production perils, no doubt. But this might surprise you, Up had a production budget of $175 million. I didn't realize Pixar was spent. Uh, little Pixar. I didn't realize Pixar was spending so much on its films lately. Toy Story three had a production budget of two hundred million. Uh, Toy Story what? two had a production budget of ninety million. You see the gap here. That's a huge. I mean, this oh, is nineteen ninety nine. Wow. Nineteen ninety nine versus, and, and some of that's going to be inflation and stuff. So that, basically, that was okay. That was uh, eleven years a difference. So eleven years ago, eleven years previous from Toy Story three, they spent ninety million. They spent over double that. 11 years later on Toy Story 3. So Okay, I have a new theory. A lot of this movie saved a lot of money on having 2D 8-bit animation. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph? Yeah. All the uh, uh, 2D uh, 8-bit animation in the games. I don't think there was that much of it. I don't think you should. <laughs> I don't think you can do that, Joseph. That doesn't work. Oh, okay. That doesn't work oh, for oh, me. Okay. Uh, now, now, fun. granted, as far as since we're talking about these production budget of these other Pixar movies, all those have made their money back, and and of course, then some. Toy Story three, of course, making lots of money back. Up did okay, and Toy Story two did you know okay compared to its budget, but. You know, Wreck-It Ralph is on track, I think, it looks like. Uh, it has raked in so far $56,750,000 of domestically. Um, so, worldwide, it's up to $68 million. So, I think it's on track to get up there. Yeah, and it was a good thing that they released it when they did. They'll, they'll definitely make their money back by Christmas, I think. I don't no, know. It, Maybe we'll it's premature to say that. We'll see. But, oh, man, I sure hope this movie does well. Because it deserves to. It and not only does it deserve to, but yeah, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. It's not very often I want to say this, but it's true. This is one movie I'd like to see a sequel for. Oh, I completely agree, and I can't imagine there won't be. If it, as long as it makes its money back, you know, as long as it goes over, it's makes its money back over what it did in the budget. Um, I think there will certainly be a sequel. Oh, okay. Well, hey, you know, one of the things we need to return to when we get through with our review is I'd like to know if you have any thoughts as to what you would like to see in the sequel, because there's one thing I would love to see in the sequel. We'll talk about that in a few okay. minutes. Okay, I don't have any thoughts, though. I can just tell you that. I hadn't, I hadn't given any thought until just now. Well, start thinking while I'm giving the rest of the review. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to do all the talking. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go for it. Okay, so Wreck-It Ralph, um, you got to see it. It's awesome. Um Ralph was unexpectedly just a, a very dynamic character. Um, I think I think that we should back up and say this too. Uh, you know, if you want to take movies seriously, and also when I say seriously, I mean if you want to extol their real entertainment value to the audience, you know, determine whether they're compelling and determine whether they are wholesome enough or that they are 
meaningful. They're wrought with a good purpose that that the audience uh, can connect to and connect with and learn from. Um, can uh, you know get a little stress relief at the end of the hard day or you know, get inspired by these characters. Wreck-It Ralph is able to do all these things. Now, I may not do this for all people, though. Wreck-It Ralph is challenged in that it has a lot of inside jokes pertaining to the uh, the arcade games and gaming in general, things that uh, video gamers can appreciate. Uh, so, like, I don't imagine that grandparents are going to appreciate this film for a lot of the inside jokes. But it's, it's, Wreck-It Ralph is better than that in that there's so much good humor here that is just plain good old-fashioned humor that I think it, it uh, transcends the video game world that it takes place in. This is something that's good for kids because there's very young characters in the game, and I mean in the movie, and I think that very young children can connect to those very young children characters. And then there are uh, older characters that are, you know, <laughs> in uh, in a fictional sort of way. They're, they're ageless, but um, I related to them because some of them have uh, similar struggles in life, you know, that, you know, cross over and parallel my own, you know. Um, uh, so there, there were young people uh, char- type characters in the movie. So, uh, but so they're having experiences that I can relate to. Like it's all, it's all for good comical relief. But I can appreciate this idea that Wreck-It Ralph is been the good guy. Uh, sorry, the bad guy. He was typecast. He landed a job that he never necessarily wanted to have, but it was <laughs> what he was created for. And so he, he's like the tw- the twenty some odd year old guy who's Mister Friendly who's got massive fists and he apparently was like born and raised in the boonies. And one day he accidentally gets moved to civilization. And so he gets mad because he's left his home and he doesn't know how to get back there. So he just starts uh, vandalizing a big uh, like uh, building. And so in, in busting up the building, Wreck-It Ralph is the bad guy in this video game. I grant you, it's a, it's very old fashioned. It's circa an eighties style arcade game. Yeah. He's just busting up this building, like something out of the original Donkey Kong, where Donkey Kong is it, the gorilla has was, captured a girl and is throwing barrels down the ramp of, it of was very reminiscent beans. of Donkey Kong very, very much. And so Wreck-It Ralph is this guy who's, you know, kind of empty-headed, who just wants to rampage, and he's and his old mantra, what he's known for saying in the game is, I'm gonna wreck it! Yes. You know, and, <laughs> and then you got Fix-It Felix, who in a very two-dimensional, flat, good guy sort of way, comes along with a magical hammer that can mysteriously fix anything it taps. So he just comes along behind Wreck-It Ralph, fixing everything with one tap to repair everything in his uh, his path. And they put so that everything- hammer to good use in the story, didn't they? Yes! <laughs> I really loved that little, uh, uh, what do you call it? They call it something in good storytelling. But anyway, so Wreck-It Ralph, he's just this guy, though, who's been doing the same thing day in and day out in the arcade game for 30 years and he's tired of being the loser he's tired of being the bad guy he's tired of being good at his job but always failing and never being the good guy the guy who gets all the recognition the guy who gets the credit for saving the day who is fix it felix who you feel like doesn't deserve the accolades he gets for being that good guy it's what he was created to do and he's given a huge advantage for having this magical hammer that can do everything for him so that frankly fix it felix hardly has to do anything at all right yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know so so it's like the uh it's the story of our lives right here 
here, right? You know, because uh, Rickett does, you know, um, Ralph, he doesn't appreciate his work. He doesn't appreciate what he does day in and day out. And so I can relate to him in that too, to some degree. You just, you get tired of your, even a good job. You get tired of it. You want some relief there. And uh, so I connected well with Ralph's character. And then the fact that it's just juxtaposed into this arcade world produces all kinds of hilarious moments you didn't anticipate. Absolutely, and, yes. or, and just so well fit. But not the, uh, this. The, it seems so natural. Like every all the the jokes and and, and all the uh, the contrivances in the movie were things that you would just expect to be true in an arcade world, and, and even though we've never seen one before. Well, now you know not just the funny moments though that that made this movie good. It was the blend of the funny moments and, quite frankly, like like almost every Pixar movie. Um, there's something went wrong with my tear ducts a couple of times. I kind of had like watery eyes, you know. <laughs> Did you have that experience? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, it's funny. We 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 have been emphasizing. I've been emphasizing the the funny aspects of Rocket Ralph, and and there's a lot of comedic moments, and I got a lot of good laughs. But kind of like a well blended story that um uh, tugs at the heartstrings, like Monsters Incorporated. This film did, uh, yeah, it, it made you feel uh, a, a lot of connection to the characters and their plights in spite of the ridiculousness of what they were going through. You really, you're rooting for them. And, and I found, okay, spoiler alert, because I'm going to talk about some of the plot details later in the film, so consider yourself warned. Um, I found it really um, heart-wrenching when King Candy is telling Wreck-It Ralph why he has to stop Vanellope from racing and you've seen them connect and and grow together and and make this connection and then Wreck-It Ralph has to do what he thinks is the right thing right and and prevent her from racing and uh it's just it's just such a heart-wrenching moment but even you know further than that it really surprised me and made me um because at that point, I thought, oh, well, King Candy, he actually is trying to do what's right. So so this is what the plot twist is. But as it turns out, here's the spoiler, you know, King Candy actually was the bad guy and, and, and deceiving. And I, I did not see. Did you see that coming? I did not see that coming. No, I, I did not see the the plot twist coming at all. Now, what's really odd to me, though, is my younger sister, who watched a movie with me, she was telling me that she actually did see it coming. Um, I have two brothers and one sister. We all watched it together. We have a broad age range. Once yeah. my older brother's 30, uh, I'm 27. My younger sister is 16. My older brother, my younger brother, sorry, is 18. And so uh, all age ranges and we three guys, we did not see the twist coming. And for some odd reason, my sister did. Well, and I'm sure you know, some people could see it. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it wasn't completely unpredictable. You know, what was really, really cool, though, was how she figured it out. She told me that she recognized that the voice of um, the, these two villains was one and the same. Oh, I totally missed that. See, maybe, yeah, maybe it, it didn't I, dawn I on me that, they, that it was one and the same voice. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, speaking of voices, uh, were you a fan of the show Firefly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, uh, you know, it's it's not like it didn't rock my world, but yeah, it's good. Oh, come on, you're crazy. Um, Firefly was great, but I didn't I didn't realize this, and I just now, you know, when we were prepping for the show, saw it. Alan Tudyk played the voice of King Candy. Now, who, who was Alan Tudyk? He was Wash on Firefly. Hmm. Uh, I don't mean any offense. Who was Wash? <laughs> he was the pilot. 
Really? Yeah. I just, I always just refer to him as the pilot. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, I did not hear Wash in King Handy. It was kind of surprising mm-hmm. to me. So, you anyway. You know what? I, I can see it in retrospect because that actor is really good at playing the crazies. He is, yeah. Now, <laughs> now you know, because obviously I could, I recognize Sarah Silverman, uh, I recognize Jane Lynch. Uh, I hadn't seen John C. Riley or Jack McBriar before, so I, you know, couldn't recognize them. But um, yeah, so that was interesting. But uh, you know, one other thing I wanted to note about the, my likes, and then I'll be done for Record Ralph, is that uh, you know it's not very often that you have the occasion to explore a new a new fantasy world, a new fantasy scenario. I'm sure that there's a lot of fan fiction out there and even some video games based on the premise of of, a a fictional world inside the video game. Um, The only other one that I can think of that's made it to the, you know, movies has been the, the story of Tron and Tron legacy. And a lot of people have mixed feelings about that world. And you you kind of go into those films wanting to like them, but a lot of people just don't see that they work. Uh, some people just you know make the claim that they're boring, that they are not what they were hoping for, and I can see that. So with a film like Wreck-It Ralph, I believe that a lot of the same filmmakers that have been involved in the Tron series, or two films, have had a lot to do with Wreck-It Ralph because, after all, you know John Lasseter, like we mentioned earlier, who is the uh, creative executive for Disney and Once Upon a Time Pixar and Once Upon a Time that Animation Studios that worked for Lucas had a lot to do with the Tron movies. And I know that a lot of the animators get around and come back to Pixar and Disney, and that that group, they and their peers have had a lot of interest, a lot of vested interest in a story involving a video game world. So I think that they would love to explore something like Wrecked Ralph. And so naturally, I think they've been cooking these ideas for the last 30 years and asking themselves, well, should we take it seriously like we did with Tron? Should it be, you know, be depicted as very dark and sober you know, kind of story, or should we do it, you know, very comical and, you know, tell very lightheartedly. But I think that ultimately they made the right choice. They said they wanted both. And so I think that is why we have Wreck-It Ralph. But one of the, uh, the nice blends about Wreck-It Ralph is that it avoids most all of the pitfalls of Tron Legacy and of mm. Tron. It just, it's not quite too literal. It's not trying to create a uh, explanation for everything. There are some things that are just downright fantastic, like they have the, um, the depot, as it were, a train station-like place where all the arcade games are plugged into one, um, what is it, like a power uh, Yeah, the, the picture was going through the power surge protector type thing. So, yeah. And in that way, it felt very fanciful and like something out of like a dream world where you're slipping in and out of one uh, pool of water into the next. You're into the one wardrobe and out of the other. Yeah. Um, and then you have this other quality about it that seems to borrow inspiration from the Disney's Alice in Wonderland, mm. where the character wants to explore new possibilities and find uh, who she really wants to be. You know, Ra- Ralph wants to find something else. And he's tired of the old. He's bored with the old. He wants to do something new. And he's got a better motivation than Alice has, that's for sure. But a lot of these zany characters and unusual instances that she faces are reminiscent of an Alice in Wonderland story. But not to fall 
uh, you know, not to succumb to the pitfalls of Alice in Wonderland. You know, uh, Wreck-It Ralph returns to the fact that this is an arcade world. So you're going to have really cool characters and you're going to have really cool games. You're going to have what's popular and unpopular, but those things that are even unpopular in the arcades are going to be in their own way, charming and nostalgic so that we're connecting to the audience uh, that really appreciates um, old games and new games. Those people that appreciate where we've come from. It's just, you know, wow, I have a whole lot more to like about this film than dislike. No, oh, yeah, I, I don't. I'm trying to think if I really have any heavy dislikes. I I, I really don't think I do. Um, if I were, you know, I, I know you're about you're going to write the review for this uh, film, and uh, you haven't released that yet, but you're going to share that with us hopefully tomorrow, right? Yes. Uh, which which will be for those listening to the podcast. That'll actually be the day the podcast is released as well. That'll be Thursday. We're recording on Wednesday night. Um, so, but I would give this film four and a half stars. What would you give this film? Do you want to share that, or do you want to wait for the art for your review? Uh, no, I don't mind sharing my thoughts. Um, I'm kind of torn because I think a good film, like a good Pixar film, like Monsters Incorporated, like Toy Story 2, The Incredibles, Toy Story 3, those films are just absolutely brilliant. I've, I've loved watching them, and I have never grown tired of them. Even when I think I'm tired of them, I don't mind watching them yet again mm-hmm. because my kids are watching them. Yeah. And it's what they want to watch, so we put it on for them because we let them pick what they want to watch. And they want to watch Incredibles yet again. So <laughs> Great film. You know, it's like, yeah, you know what? It's a story about a middle-aged m- man going through his uh, midlife crisis, and it's kind of cool. I don't know. It just, it, it just is. Well, I, you know, <laughs> just on a tangent, uh, Incredibles is a story about family and bringing family together. How can you not like that? So anyway, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. So um, ultimately, though, I'm I'm wondering if Wreck-It Ralph passes all the tests with flying colors, and one of those tests for me is knowing that my kids are going to watch this time and time again. When am I going to grow tired of it? Do I think I'm going to grow tired of it sooner or later? And I guess I love it for most every aspect. If there's one thing that can kind of get annoying is that the, that the Wreck-It Ralph story is a huge bundle of energy. It's very energetic. It's very enthused. It's very lively from start to finish. And it has a, it has a, a very fun pace. It's like a really fun Disney theme park ride. But even, even a great Disney theme park ride isn't something you want to watch all the time. So can it be that we have just a wonderful film that's not quite worthy of five stars? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. I mean, like I said, I give it four and a half. I understand if you give it five. I'm not going to fault you at all for that. I just, you know, wasn't quite to the five star rate. And I, th- and I think the reason why we can't give it a five star rating is when we compare it to a five star movie, we have to admit, oh, well, it's, it's not that good. And, and, and so here's a great example. Toy Story 3. Five stars. It's, it, no doubt. Yeah. It, yeah. Five stars. No doubt. Wreck-It Ralph. We're not trying to say it's that good. And the reason being, like I said, it's this theme park ride of a movie. It's a really good one, but it's not one I feel like riding 
time and time and time and time and time again. Speaking so, of speaking of theme park rides, we should. I want to touch on this, and then we should move on to flight. And I don't want to spend too much time. Just, on okay, flight, well, then just real quick, I will say I'm giving Wreck It Ralph four and a half stars. Oh right, of course. Okay, good. All right, so we're on the same page. I just want to mention this. Do you play? Do you have a Wii? I do not, but I've played a, a lot of them. Have you played Mario Kart? Oh yeah, I've played. Shoot, <laughs> dude, I could whoop you in the original Mario Kart on the NES. I doubt SNES. it. I doubt it. Ooh, You're on, you, buddy. Game on, man. I, it's been yeah, a long time. On. I have to admit, it's been a long time since I played the SNES version. But uh, you let me get you let me polish up a little bit, and you're on. Uh, all right. So, and certainly on the Wii, I will beat you. Now, so, but Mario Kart Wii, Sugar Rush, Sugar Rush was basically Mario Kart Wii with different theme on top i mean was it not <laughs> yeah it was the the super mario kart with uh meets Candyland. exactly yes that's a good way to put it it's like it, it, they put the Candyland theme on all the items and and the look but the dynamic was was mario kart wii it was it was pretty fun <laughs> And, yeah, you know, you know, they they did that because it would it would have been so expensive for them, or maybe even impossible for them to get Nintendo to even agree to that. But just to to license Mario Kart Wii for, for something like that, that would have been too expensive. So, but I thought it was a lot of fun. So, Wreck It Ralph, if you haven't seen it, go do so. It, it's it's worth seeing. Yeah, uh, two other uh, last notes here. It was uh, rated on IMDb4 as an 8.4 and a 77 percentile on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, do you want to double check those real quick? Sure. I just, I'm hesitant because I may have forgot to update that in our outline here. But then the other thing I wanted to note here. You did. Was the audience. my thoughts. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, you go ahead. The audience uh, gives it a 93%. 93% of the audience liked it. 85% oh, of the critics wow. liked it. So it's oh, doing really wow. well. Yep. That is very exciting. Um, okay, so the, the, now the last thing I wanted to talk about, wreck Ralph, and then we'll be done with it, is what are our, our hopes and dreams for a sequel? And uh, since you've already said you don't have any thoughts, let me just ask you one thing. Would you like to see one of the games or all of the games that were central to the focus of wreck Ralph become real games in the real world? I don't understand the question. Would you like to actually be able to play that Heroes Duty game? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, no, I'm not I'm not a first-person shooter kind of gamer. Okay, well, how about that Sugar Rush game? Well, since I'm a big Mario Kart Wii fan, I play it almost every night. Uh, sure. Well, okay, we'll see. Well, I, I mean, okay. I, I mean, gotta be honest here. Sugar Rush is Candyland meets mario kart so i can't see myself playing it all that much but i could see it being very popular and i could see that i would enjoy it a little bit with other friends and family yep so i would love to play it and i think that they could totally do so the game is well thought through in the movie now i've already played the fix it felix jr game on the ipad and the iphone have you tried it out i haven't i didn't know they'd released one i'm assuming it's like made to look retro but it's a new game it is, yeah, yeah. It, but it's actually straight up what the arcade version of Fix-It Felix Jr. was supposed to be in the movie. The only disappointment that I have encountered thus far is that the characters don't have their backstory delivered the way that they do in the arcade itself in the movie, but I, I don't have to hold that against them because well, I'm gonna I say, think that I'm, else can... I'm guessing it came out before the movie did, and they probably didn't want to release those, reveal those details. 
Yes, that that's my thought there. But as far as the game itself is concerned, it is straight up the Fix It Felix game of the movie, and it's got a pretty clever gameplay. And it was actually really fun to introduce this to my kids, right? Because my four-year-old, like I said, I didn't get to take her to the movie, but I got her to play the game after I saw it because I was so interested in it. And it was really funny to watch her because she really dug the game. And, uh, you know, I'm just geeking out here because I'm like, oh, wow, my daughter loves a retro game. <laughs> and and so she played it and she actually beat it. My four-year-old daughter beat Fix-It Felix Jr. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm downloading it as we speak onto my iPhone. So I will play it as soon as we're done with the podcast. And I put the link to the uh, Fix-It Felix Jr. Fix-It Felix Jr. for iPhone and iPad in the show notes. Okay, and the one thing I will say for a sequel, my hope is that they actually include Mario as a character. But, but you know, I thought about this. I actually thought about this. Is that just us being geeks? Like, would anybody really care? Because I, I did, too. When he mentioned Mario and, I, and Bowser was in, I'm like, yes, I want to see Mario. He must be in the next film. But is that just us being geeks, though? Does anybody really care? And should, um, should I- that even happen? I could probably write a very long opinion piece about this, but here's what I'm thinking. I think that Disney is uh, is uh, <laughs> I think that they are developing a relationship with Nintendo so that they can buy them. Hmm. Because after all, they've bought Lucasfilm now, they own Marvel, they own Pixar. And this is the last piece of the pie that they really need to complete everything. If they wanted to have all the gaming industry, all the theme parks, all the toys, all the characters we know and love that they can get their hands on, the one thing that they're missing that really fits the mold well is Nintendo. That's they're an not interesting gonna, theory. They're not going to go after Sony. They're not going to go after Xbox, obviously. Well, and frankly, who cares about Sony and Xbox? I mean, I know maybe it's right. blasphemous to some people. Nintendo is the iconic gaming system, right? Right. They're the iconic system, and I think that they have been struggling for a very long time to maintain their legacy. So I think that because of, uh, you know, where the gaming industry is going right now, it seems to me like they're just falling on, not hard times, but they've lost their sense of direction. Exactly. They've lost their sense of direction. Absolutely. And so in the not too distant future, they could really be struggling to compete with the gaming platforms that are mobile devices like, oh, you know, iPad, these little things that they call iPads and iPad minis and iPod touches and all those other guys. So either Apple or Disney is going to try and buy Nintendo. I don't see Apple doing it. Um, I don't see them either. Yeah. I, I, here's the thing. I, I, I really, I have a few games I play on my iPhone. I'm not a big iOS gamer. And maybe that's just because I want to have physical controls. I want to have a D pad and I want to have buttons. That's neither here nor there. Um, it's fun fact. I, when I get ready to play the Wii, I still say, I'm going to play Nintendo. Do you, you know, to my wife, do you want to, you want to play, do you want to play Nintendo with me, dear? Uh, (laughs) You know, (laughs) I know maybe that's just because of the era I'm from and I had the original Nintendo or whatever, but, uh, yes. And you are just the incurable romantic there, TJ. (laughs) Well, I just mean, that's just what I think of it as is playing the (laughs) Nintendo. Um, quality time. I, I really have a I, I if Disney buys Nintendo and I, I don't know I'd love to see you write your opinion piece on this I, I really hope they don't mess it up because I really do have a lot of love in my heart for Nintendo 
Yeah, they. The, the, it's the same reason why I like Apple products. They sweat the details. They operate in a similar way to Apple on a lot of things. They want to control their platform. They want to control their software, and they produce high-quality things, and I love it. I'm right there with you, man. All right. Okay, so I'm done with this film. It was uh, We tidied that up with a nice little pretty bow on top. Yes. I don't want to and, talk too uh, long about flight, but we should talk about flight. Yes, yeah, so real quick, I guess we actually haven't mentioned this as of yet, but uh, there was two big movie releases this past weekend. And because there are uh, three movie releases this week that we want to address in the upcoming week for Movie Byte site and the podcast, there was no other time like the present to address this other big movie release alongside of Wreck-It Ralph. So this past weekend, I went in to see Flight on, let's see here. I think I caught it on Friday night. I caught a fairly late showing. And then I caught Wreck-It Ralph the next day with my family. I did just the opposite. So we both yeah, saw okay. but we both saw both these films last weekend. And, and I, I have to admit, it's difficult to review two films simultaneously because all your mental energies are thinking, what is it that I think is most relevant about this film? And then you compare a movie like Flight to Wreck-It Ralph. I mean, seriously, come on. They're night and day. And so you're, all your mental energies are being torn between two extremes. Like, how should we address these movies side by side? So at yeah, the, uh, and, and I gotta at tell the you, forefront here... You, you called dibs on the uh, review of Wreck-It Ralph, and I kind of envy you. I would much rather have reviewed that but I, I wrote a review on flight and it's on movie bite now so i'll link yes. that up in the show notes but uh yeah, so yeah right they're here, just let's so just different worlds yeah let's just go ahead and say let's switch gears here people and think think sober-minded <laughs> and uh i see what you did there let's let's go from the cartoonistic animated playground that is Pixar and Disney and switch gears to the live action thriller suspense drama with Denzel Washington set in modern times with planes crashing and men and women imbibing. Yeah, so so I have I have one sentence that I can sum the flight up with, Joseph, and I mentioned it in my review. Substance abuse. Flight is a film about substance abuse. <laughs> That's no, what this no, are, about. Now, now, are you saying that that's a uh, is there is, is there a double meaning there? Are you saying that the movie itself is substance abuse? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. Why are okay. you? Are you? No, 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 no. I just I, when I read your review, I wondered if you were trying to trying to be a little clever there. No, nothing quite that clever. Okay, okay. But but I I, I will say it, it was just a little frustrating. It's just a tired old road to go down you know i mean we all know and and i mean i'm not saying alcoholism is not a problem i'm not saying it's not bad but we all know what alcoholism does and and why did we need another movie about that i guess that was the question i found myself asking you know wasn't there something else we could have had a drama about something more compelling so um well i mean yeah my personal thoughts are that i haven't seen all that movies that pertained to alcoholism uh, or uh, addictions in general i know that they're out there i'm sure there's some pretty good classic movies on the subject um human interest stories is how i how i see them mm -hmm. uh, they're not necessarily cheerful films 
they're not necessarily heartwarming and, uh, you know, um, encouraging, but they're trying to tell you a relatable story where maybe either you or more likely someone in your life has gone through a similar struggle like, uh, you know, uh, a, a drug addictions and uh, drunkenness like the characters do in the movie Flight. So in the best case scenario, what do you hope to see happen with these people? And I think that Flight is a, a morality tell that is aspiring to encourage people who are going through the struggle to get their act together, even when it means that there could be a, a big price to pay for doing that. In the case of um, Flight, however, I actually think that they were perhaps too clever for their own good with some of the audience. Um, you make a valid point that Flight comes across as being about this guy's drunken behavior, that, that he's always just returning to the, bo- the bottle. Yep. As someone else I was talking with here uh, at work yesterday was saying that he saw the movie last weekend too, and he was really hoping for this action suspense thriller that Flight was marketed to be. And we'll get to that, <laughs> yeah, just uh, the depths of the lie that that is here in a minute. Yes. But uh, when he saw the movie, he was greatly disappointed because the first few minutes were interesting, engaging, and exciting with this particular flight and what happens there. And it was very well told. But then quickly, the movie makes a turn and becomes this serious melodrama dealing with some just uh, just sad, sad truths about um, a lot of people today. And so, what? Where was I going with this? I don't know, Joseph. I'm not. I think. Your head. Uh, yeah. Oh, here's my here. Uh, here's my point. See the the drug addiction and the uh, the um, alcoholism in the movie actually represents the villain. You know, it's it's actually the antagonist, so to speak, for the film. And we see time and again that our protagonists are succumbing to it. Mm-hmm. They're losing. They're losing the battle against the the drinks so in this conflict between the guy who wants to be an upstanding uh you know uh airline pilot and the bottle he he appears to be losing for the majority of the film and it's when he licks it it's when he's able to finally you know beat the bottle that he's finally uh you come to the climax that is the climax is seeing him beat the bottle and uh there's more to this story, but I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is, is that for a film that has to do with alcoholism, I thought that this story was told quite cleverly, so that y- you didn't feel like it was beating you on the head with scene after scene after scene of drunkenness mm. behavior uh, pertaining to it. Although it's through and through the movie, yeah, I didn't I, feel I felt, like it succumbed to an, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, an egregious amount of it. I felt a little beat over the head, I have to tell you. I, I felt a little yeah, beat over and the head. I, and I can see it's a fine line. We're dealing with a gray area here where, where a lot of people will feel like it was a letdown because it was neither hot nor cold. Therefore, it is a disappointment of a film. Yeah. Now, I have to give the film props for the acting. I mean, the acting was all great and superb. I mean, of course, Denzel Washington. You know what was really fun for me is seeing Kelly Riley. Um, she put on... I mean, she was so authentic 
I thought it was an authentic Georgian accent. You're from Georgia. You tell me. But uh, oh yeah, it, it seemed very authentic to me. And she's British, <laughs> so uh, that, that was you know, pretty fun. You know, there's, there is something of a misconception about the Georgia accent here. I just want to note. Um, her accent was consistently Georgian, and she did a great job. I uh, uh, yeah, kudos to her entire performance, by the way. But I was born and raised in Georgia, and I just got a note. My dad was too, and he doesn't have a Georgia accent. A lot of people in Georgia today um, migrated here from different parts of the country over mm. the last thirty years. So that there is actually quite a melting pot of different accents that have blended together to this sort of universal, nebulous, und- indistinct accent. I, I and, agree. I, I think that we're seeing that more everywhere. It's the same way here in Middle Tennessee. Yeah. And so so what I'm, my thoughts are here is that while it, it really came across in Solder character, uh, my guess is, is for that to be genuine, she had to be far and away from Atlanta. <laughs> And, and I, it appears that they demonstrate that in the movie. But uh, yeah, she's she's nowhere near any of the major cities to pull off a natural accent like that. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I certainly know people who have, you know, accents in that similar vein from, you know, Georgia. And even it, it really, I, I say Georgian, it was kind of more of a, I would say kind of a classic Southern accent. And, and I know a lot of people who speak that way, so it seemed authentic to me. Um. Yeah, I, I I I can't fault anybody, any of the actors for any of their performances. It was all spectacular. Where where I get a little frustrated um, is is just I want to I want to be able to know who to root for. I want to know who my protagonist is, and I felt like the waters were a little bit muddy in this film. Like, am I supposed to be rooting? For Whip, am I, it, 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 and what am I supposed to be rooting for him for? Am I supposed to be rooting for him to get his family back together, or am I supposed to be rooting for his relationship to do well with Nicole? It, so you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, what was? And I just felt like that was a little muddy. And I know it was very intentional in doing so, but I just, it's just not quite my style. I can't say it's what I want uh, five days a week, you know, seven days a week, but it's. Uh and it's not a film that I intend to watch all too frequently. No. In spite of the fact that I think that the performances are some of the best of the year, and I think that some of the story is some of the best story of the year for any motion picture. But uh, I still think that while it it's uh, very exceptional artistically, that there's room for your point. That as a drama, as serious as it is, as thought-provoking as it is, it's not something that you want to return to all too frequently for entertainment value. Mm-hmm. It's something that you want to watch when you want to appre- appreciate an artistic film that's very sobering and thought-provoking, and perhaps it's something you watch because you're just an avid Denzel Washington fan, or that you're a Robert Zemeckis fan, and I, I think I'm both. So, uh, for those reasons... I enjoy the film for some entertainment value that as a fan I see in the film, but I don't think the average moviegoer looking for uh, excitement and, and, and good old fashioned amusement will find in this film. It's not there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, it's, it's certainly, certainly about uh, substance abuse. I mean, a note here, just uh, one of the, uh, things I, I've come across uh, in several instances. 
uh, is that the, the reason for its a fairly high approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Well, let's just back up here real quick. I wanted to mention its approval rating is pretty pretty decent. It's got a 77 on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's got a 7.7 on IMDb. But what I've noticed is that, in general, critics are the ones who are really extolling this film, and what they're pointing out are the same things across the board. They're saying things like, Flight is a well-made motion picture but it's not a fun and entertaining one, like I, I said a moment ago. But they're also saying Denzel Washington gives one of his most nuanced and impressive performances. It was it's good. An, it's an old-fashioned drama and all the better for it. This is Washington's movie from the beginning to the end and full of layers. You know, That's what they're addressing. What they really love about this film is that this is like the culmination of Denzel's career and his quality as an actor. One of his finer performances. It was a good performance. I, I'll give him that. And, and you know, the film's worth seeing, I, I, no doubt. Um, you, you know, as I mentioned in my article, if you see it in the theaters, be prepared for some adult-oriented uh, material, for sure. And I don't just mean substance abuse. Um, you, you know, you may want to wait for the clear play if you don't want to see that. But, uh, yeah, um, I forgot Yeah, no, you, you go ahead and take this. I mean, you wrote the review on it, so... Uh what else do you I, want to note? I really don't have much more to say about it. Um, yeah. I, you know, just it's worth seeing. It, it's, you know, did knock my socks off, but it's worth seeing. Yeah. It's a, like we said, it's not hot or cold, but worth seeing great performances, just not a lot of excitement. And like you noted, I, I will say it's not appropriate for all audiences. Yes. I, I will say, um, I guess I, I should have mentioned this in my review, I guess, but one of, one of my complaints with the film is it felt like it was off to a great start. You know, we had a lot of drama. We had the plane crash. Love that, by the way. Great drama in the cockpit. Um, you know, especially, oh, I love that part. It just kind of, uh, actually, I, I think I was a little uh, uh, watery-eyed when uh, he told uh, the flight attendant, you know, speaking to the, do you have a son? Yeah, speaking to the black box. Tell him you love him. Uh, that that was very heart-wrenching. Loved all that drama. But then it felt like the movie kind of, as you, I think you've alluded to this, kind of slowed down. And, and, and I felt like they could have, handled that better it just it felt like it kind of abruptly changed into a different movie yeah it was a very different movie after the flight crash oh and i did want to address this too you mentioned uh the trailers sold it as a different movie than it was and i couldn't agree more i thought from the trailers that i was going to see a movie about uh, them trying to prove he was drunk when he wasn't them trying to prove that he had alcohol and that when actually he they were giving him grief and he had here he had saved this flight i thought that was the type of movie i was going to see did well it's worse than just the trailer it's in writing the uh, official studio um, um paramount pictures this is here's their description of the movie and how it starts in this action-packed mystery thriller Academy Award winner Denzel Washington stars as Whip Whitaker, a seasoned airline pilot who miraculously crash lands his plane after a mid-air catastrophe. You know, just the way that starts out, it sounds yeah. like it's an action. It says it. It says it's an action-packed mystery thrill- thriller. It's not. Maybe the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes are an action-packed mystery th- right, thriller. Right, right, Yep. <laughs> yep. So don't be let down. Yeah, so there you go. It's worth seeing, but this is the type of movie you're going to see. There you go. I think that's I think that's it. Cool. Well, we nailed it. 
<laughs> I, I think that in spite of the fact that these films are so different from each other, we did a fine job of addressing both Light and uh, Rick and Ralph, switching gears there. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed with ourselves. Sure. We're good at this, DJ. We are, aren't we? Virtual pat on the back there. Hey, speaking of uh, speaking of being good at it, I, I guess what I would say is uh, that we're you know we're having a lot of fun with Movie Bite, and one of the ways that we're having fun is we are giving away a TV to one of our loyal listeners and readers. Whoa! We mentioned this last <laughs> week, but uh, you know th- this is this is uh, the point where. Uh, we're having a lot of fun. We think Movie Byte is doing great, but we want it to be better. We want it to be greater. We want more readers. We want you know more audience. We want to get out there and, and get our stuff out there. And so one of the ways to do that is we thought, well, let's give away a TV and let's 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 get people to share it and to spread the word and to get it out there. So we we need your help. Uh, we need for you to go to our giveaway page. It's moviebyte.com slash giveaway and share that. Go to the Facebook page and share that and, and share it with your friends. Spam them. I mean, come on. S- send them some spam. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> well, on this particular occasion, it's actually something that's uh, it's fairly wholesome. Call it um, not spam. Think of it as really, really nice gourmet bacon. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so so we want to give you the good stuff and uh what it is i'll just go ahead and tell you i've already seen this television we picked it up the other day at best buy i'm so glad that our sponsors could afford this it's a uh, it's an lg television it's 47 uh inches you know from uh, diagonally across it's that's bigger than my tv it's an lcd led uh 1080p television it's top notch in you know brand new spanking condition never been opened <laughs> i mean this is for real folks and on top of getting the tv we're also uh, going to deliver to you the winner a one-year subscription to netflix instant play and I, I i wish that i could enter the contest but uh <laughs> i'll tell you what i'm encouraging all my friends and family to do so uh, we really were just having fun discussing movies and we want to discuss it with great people like you and we want to make the, the entertainment in your home all the more pleasurable to experience so that you want to listen more to us and we can enjoy the movies together some more. Yep. So that's it. Go to moviebyte.com slash giveaway and that'll give you all the details for how to get in and enter into this uh, giveaway and get a chance to win the TV and the one-year subscription to Netflix. Um, you can find the show notes for this episode, and I will actually put that link in the show notes as well. Uh, you can find the show notes at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 17, because this is our 17th episode. So that's where our show notes are at. Now, Joseph, F, people, after hearing you talk about Wreck-It Ralph and your enthusiasm and hearing you talk about flight and, and just hearing your enthusiasm, I'm sure they're going to want to follow you. Where can they do that online? Yeah, I have a couple of places you can find me. I write um, plain and simple, wry, sarcastic, clever, interesting little status updates for Twitter and Facebook. But I promise I will spare you of any stupid nonsensical link bait uh, pertaining to politics and the like, especially now that the uh, elections are over. But anywho... Yes, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Darnell. And if you want to catch me on Facebook, just go to josephdarnell.com and it'll redirect you to my profile. My personal website is 
jivingjackalope.com. I write about um, creative design, technology, Apple News and culture, the value of perfectionism as it relates to business and technology and creative design. All right. And uh, I am on Twitter. You can follow me. I am uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. Uh, if you don't mind reading some political stuff, you can find me at tjdraper.com. I post a lot of political stuff there. Uh, and so be prepared for that. Very controversial, unlike Joseph. And of course, I'm writing every day for Movie Byte. Uh, you can catch that, of course, at moviebyte.com. Be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be talking about Skyfall and uh, Lincoln. I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to see Lincoln, but you will be seeing Lincoln. Is that correct, Joseph? That is the plan. All right. So, Skyfall. I'm excited to see Skyfall. And so, tune in next week, and we'll uh, talk about Skyfall. All right. That's it. You have a good night, Joseph. And you too, TJ. TJ.